Welcome to another episode of The Swamp Inside Florida Athletics. I'm your host, Anthony Beck, along with my co-host. Jerry Brown, a.k.a. Jay Breezy. What's going on, y'all? What's going on, Jerry? How you doing? I'm doing good. It's a fine day, bro. Great to be alive. Chopping it up. Blessed day, of course. It's a beautiful day to be alive. And tonight, we have a special guest with us, joining us for the first time, who covers Florida football and mostly baseball. For Gators territory on rivals.com. We have Hector Rodriguez joining us tonight. Hector, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I mean, shoot, we've been trying to get this done for about two weeks already, and now we're finally we're finally here, and I'm excited, man. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Hector. Yeah, we're doing good. We've been it's been longer than two weeks. It's like every time we try. Yeah. It's like yeah. The way either yeah, we're do. busy or you're busy. We could yeah, never get it done. I do. Fortunately, it's I. I don't only work. I don't. I stuff. I got Rutgers and yeah. Hector, Hector pretty much doesn't know what sleep is. I respect uh, the hustle. Yeah, I respect the hustle, but I mean, I, I honestly don't know how he's still alive <laughs> with all the work he's doing. I mean, did they didn't they didn't put you in Arizona for the series against the Diamondbacks, did they? They didn't make you travel out there, did they? If he's still on here. Uh-oh. I think we may have lost that. We're going to try and get Hector back on here. But what? But a few of the topics that we're going to discuss, of course, is you know, following up with baseball and how, how they're doing this. Oh, you back on? Are you, is that you, Hector? Yeah, I never left him still here. Oh, oh, we couldn't hear you. We couldn't hear you. Oh, sorry about that. We thought we thought we lost Hector because we don't know where he's no. at right now. He might be in Arizona with the Marlins. No, I'm in Pembroke Pines, Florida, on Flamingo Road. <laughs> oh, so they didn't make you travel? I'm surprised. No, are you kidding me? These people—it's not in their budget. Fishwife—that's not Fishwife's budget, man. We're gonna need them to up their budget. <laughs> But as we hey, were man. saying, we're going to get it. <laughs> you said what? No, I mean, we just got verified um, this spring training. So maybe, maybe we can't up the budget. I hope so. I mean, you get to travel and cover them. So hey, let, let's let's try and get that. If anybody that covers the Marlins is listening to this podcast, let's get Hector on the road, especially when to New York when they play the Mets. You know, because I know you want to go up there. Let, let's get Hector right, on the road to travel and cover this team. So if y'all listen to the show, let's get Hector on the road. That's our goal. Get Hector on the road to help cover the Marlins. But one of the, yeah, but we're not, one, here. 
We're not here about the Marlins right now. We're we're here about the Florida Gators. So yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah, sir. yeah, some of the things we're gonna discuss tonight are of course following up with the baseball team, seeing just seeing how they're playing right now. I mean, they're playing with they're playing with confidence and they got a big series, their last home game home series of the year this weekend against Georgia. We know this is gonna be a big series and of course. And it's the last home series of the year. So it's gonna be senior day. And I know the seniors that are on the team, they're they're gonna want to go out of winners. And then next weekend, of course, is on the road in Fayetteville against the number one team in the country in Arkansas. So Hector, starting off with that, what have you seen in your opinion so far with this with this team? Like, if you were to assess how they played so far this year, what what would you say has really piqued your interest with them? Well, going to the season, everyone was talking about just how deep Florida's pitching staff is, and I was one of those people. But really quickly, that that pitching depth, you know, went away, and a lot of that had to do with injuries. And then guys that just weren't performing at a consistently at a consistent level. So that has definitely been something I've kept an eye on. In fact, the thing that I was actually more worried about was their offense because I thought some of their hitters had holes in their swings, but they proved me wrong. They've been, you know, the offense has actually was big. You know, I thought it could have been the weakness. It's actually, you know, right now their strength. Yeah. But there's a lot, there's a lot to like right now. Early in the season, they really weren't playing to the to their to the best of their ability. I mean, this is a team that's incredibly talented. Because I mean, when you don't, you really didn't lose anybody to the draft. The only guy, the only players you lost to the draft were. Austin Langworthy, and you probably upgrade at that position. And then you lose, you know, Brady Smith, who wasn't even an everyday player. So, you know, you're already the number one team in the country. You don't lose anybody very meaningful. And you add, a, like, a top-ten recruiting class, even though a lot of them went elsewhere because Florida just had too many players on the roster. So you do expect them to be the number one team in the country. And when they don't perform, it's disappointing especially for Florida fans who all they've been hearing this year is this Florida is the favorite to win in Omaha. This team's absolutely stacked. You know, is there a weakness on this team? Cause I can't find it. You know, it was very disappointing, but right now Florida has been playing their best baseball and their best baseball is also playing in their home stadium. They're 26 and six at home and they'll be hosting Georgia and Georgia is going to be missing one of their top arms. Who's a guy that's a left-handed pitching prospect, um, Ryan Webb. He um he's done for the year. He got he had an elbow injury. I'm not sure of the severity of the elbow injury, but he is out for the season. And that he he's actually probably been their best starting pitcher, even though there's another pitcher on their staff that is probably going to be another top round draft pick. Yeah, that that's a big blow for them. I and mean, you know, with pitchers, you get an elbow injury and you immediately get concerned because. You know, you usually hear the words Tommy John surgery associated with that, and we all know that that that's an injury that takes a long time to recover from. And speaking of that, I mean, you talked about the depth taking a blow for Florida, their pitching depth. Mm-hmm. That's what it was for both Nick Pogue and Tyler Nesbitt. I mean, Nick Pogue is probably one of, if not the top reliever in the bullpen, and, you know, you lose him, and it immediately hurts your depth. And so having to move a guy like Jack Leftwich, even though he wasn't pitching well, 
in the starting role. Moving him to the bullpen has been has actually been great. I mean, I feel like he's embraced this role of a closer, and it's great to have a guy with the stuff that he has come in late in the game and be able to close it out. And I I agree with you, you know, about how they how they started out the season. They they weren't playing to the best of their abilities, and I think they knew that. And I felt like I've I, I've said before, I feel like it starts and ends with Judd Fabian. When he gets it going at the plate, I feel like it galvanizes this entire team. Would you say the same thing? Yeah, I would. And also, I think one thing that really jump-started this team was Vanderbilt. You know, they saw Vanderbilt. They had been they circled that Vanderbilt game as as soon as the schedule was released. So they, they were absolutely prepared for the Vanderbilt Commodores. And, hey, they beat them two out of three times. And that's really what's made them jump in the – top 25 rankings because Vanderbilt was a very – was like the number two team in the country, mm-hmm. but they were like right there with Arkansas. And once Florida took two out of three and actually beating Jack Leiter, who right now could be the number one overall pick, you know, that you know that really ignited – you know, the, I think that really ignited the Gators as a team and also reminded a lot of the national media writers that, hey, you know what, Florida is actually very good. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't played to, you know, what we expected them to, but – I mean, we just saw them play against a team that could very likely win the national championship, and Florida, you know, took two out of three against them. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you saw it with when they won game two against Jack Leiter, and pretty much they roughed them up a little bit. But I feel like the turning point of that series was, even though they lost game one, was late in the series when they really started getting the bats going. And you think, okay – they they have a chance to really continue this tomorrow, even though it's going to be tough with Jack Miter. They went out there and he didn't even last. He didn't even get to the fifth inning, and you saw the emotion from this team when they when they were getting hit, scoring runs. And I felt like that was the thing that was missing. And it's funny we talked to Nick Delator. He said the same thing. Like the the emotion coming from the team was missing, and. Like you said, since that series, they've really been playing their best baseball. And and I feel like if they can go in these next two series, they can go two and two. They're locked into a host position. Well, they're going to host a regional. At this point, it's just, you know, are they going to be able to host a super regional? That's really the only question. But, as it, and, you know, they're, they're going to be a top 16 seed no matter what. So, they're going to host a regional, and that definitely plays in Florida's favor because, like I said, they're 26-6 and six at home. They are very difficult to beat. So when it, when you look at that, it's really up to the point that where are they going to finish towards the end of the season? I think Georgia, if you take at least two out of three, you know, you're, you're still in contention. Mm-hmm. If you sweep Georgia, then you have a pretty good shot. But then at the end of the year – your last year's against the number one team in the country, Arkansas. They have a phenomenal offense. So the Gators have – if they win that series, they, they're they a lock in the top eight. They're, yeah. they're a lock to finish in the top eight because Arkansas is a really, really good team. And one thing – I agree 100% Florida, with that. There's actually one thing that helps the Florida. Florida's a really good offensive team, and Arkansas's ballpark is very hitter-friendly. So mm. it actually – it plays into Arkansas's favor because – their strength is offense, but it does the same thing for Florida, as in their offense is their best thing right now. And especially with a guy like Judd, who's hit 18 homers this year, 
I know the batting average isn't what it should be, but he's a guy that realistically could end up end the season with 20 home runs, which is a lot of home runs. And then you have guys like Nathan Hickey, Chris Armstrong, who can absolutely match, Kobe Alter, Sterling Thompson, freshmen, but they can absolutely rip the ball. You know, there's a lot to like about this Florida lineup. It's really just if they can continue, you know, if the, if the bats can continue to stay hot. Yeah, and, and Jerry, I wanted to ask you, what what have you seen the last couple of weeks with the team? Uh, ultimately, from what I've been seeing, man, is this uh, more energy, as we talked about with Nick, you know, last week. Just um, having that passion. I know the talent is there on that team, but, uh, you know, in the Vanderbilt series, uh, the guys seem, you know, just more ready to play. And, you know, when you have passion and talent with a team like Florida, I mean, we can beat anybody in the country. So uh, I think, you know, what we brought up last week with that, uh, that showed and that came to fruition. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking, to, uh, looking forward to seeing how these guys turn out. Um, also, I just, I just want to see more consistency in pitching. Um, you know, we need that desperately. Uh, I saw that we have another guy, uh, Brandon Sprout, who's pitching. And uh, I, I want to see what he can do in the future, you know, and how he can rotation. Yeah, he actually got the start um, yeah. Tuesday night against Stetson. And he didn't he, – he pitched well against them. It's just after, after that, you know, Stetson really kind of got to the bullpen. But, I mean mm-hmm. – you couldn't really pitch Christian Scott for too long because you need him this weekend. Of course, so I understood the frustration of you know why some fans are like why did they take him out? Yeah, you know, he got out of a bases loaded jam, only gave it one run, but you need him for the weekend, so you don't want to exactly. overthrow him, and then all of a sudden you can't use him. Mm-hmm. So, and I agree with Sprout. I think Sprout is a guy that, especially in the future, is going to be a major contributor in this bullpen, okay. and. I saw – Hector, I saw that Sully changed the pitching rotation again. So, is it – I think I saw it'll be Tommy Mace tomorrow night. As we record this podcast, it drops tomorrow. So, it'll be Friday night for Tommy Mace. And I think he has Hunter Barco pitching Saturday and Franco Alimon pitching Sunday. Is that set in stone or is he still – Yeah, that's it. That? It's set yeah, in stone. That's set in stone. Yeah, I already got – I mean, I already wrote the pre- series preview article. It'll be out tomorrow morning, but that is that is the set rotation. And Georgia's set rotation features two two freshmen lefties, and they haven't announced the Sunday guy, but I fully expect it to be their 6'6", 215-pound right-hander, Jonathan Cannon. Ooh, that's a big kid. <laughs> no, huge, <Yeah>. bro. <laughs> Top 100 draft prospect. A guy that probably was going to end up in the first round, but – I mean, he hasn't dragged to the strikeouts like he has in the past, and he's just not having that good of a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The size is definitely yeah. there. Yeah, so it, it should be a good series this weekend. I hope I hope it'll be a good series for us offensively. And like I said, I think it starts and ends with Judd Fabian, but a guy that's, for me, that's hitting the ball really well is Kendrick Callenlau. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how you can keep him out of the lineup. I feel like I feel like if you put him in the lineup with the way he's hitting the ball, it's going to, especially down the stretch, is really going to help this offense. But also, Chris Armstrong's just starting to he's starting to hit the ball a little bit better now. 
I mean, he and Fabian were striking out at an unbelievable rate, a rate that they shouldn't be striking out at, but they both turned the corner. Yeah, I mean, Chris Armstrong, I mean, just if you just look at him, you know, I'm pretty sure C-Rob, you know, has probably talked to him about, you know, transitioning to football because you would love a linebacker at 6'4", 235 pounds, especially as well Bill as Chris Armstrong is. That's why they give him the nickname Clydesdale. But, I mean, he, he's a big, strong kid, and he's he's a guy that can, when he gets a hold of it, I mean, it's usually no doubters. I mean, you saw in the first game of the season, he got he got a hold of one against Miami and he went over everything. And oh, yeah, I remember he, that he, has, he does have a strikeout issue, but that that's, that happens a lot with a lot of power hitters. But of course. right now he's seen the ball well. But Kendrick is a better contact hitter. He does a better job of putting the ball in play and getting base hits. But Kyle's power is nothing close to Armstrong. I think Armstrong probably has the most raw power on this team. It might not show in the numbers. But if he fully tapped into his power, he's a guy that can absolutely like if they were trying to if they were doing a long distance contest in batting practice, I would honestly put money on Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I think he has that type of power that that he that he could put the ball four hundred and fifty feet, at least four fifty in BP. The ball he hit against Miami is still traveling. I mean <laughs> Yeah. I mean that that I ball's saw- that ball's in space by now. Yeah, I think it disintegrated. I don't think I don't think it ever landed. I think it just like <laughs> fell apart. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that home run vividly. I mean, you when you heard it off the bat, you knew it was going. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't have to. You don't have to wait for the camera to pan over. All, all you saw was the right field just look back like. Oh, that's, nope. yeah, oh well, I ain't getting yeah. that one. I ain't getting that one, coach. Yeah, and if if you play baseball, I mean. If you play in the outfield, we've you, you've seen that before. I mean, I remember, I never forget when I was playing in high school. We played Niceville, and I was playing left field, and they had like a red monster per se, and this guy came up in the hit, and you know he hit a home run, and I pretty much did the same thing. All I could do was just look at it. I was like, "Yep, that ball's over everything." So I agree, Chris Armstrong having that kind of power. I mean, he's starting. I feel like he's starting to kind of put it together, but you know, we need to see it. We need to see it more consistently. And you know, with Judd, I mean, it doesn't look like he has a whole lot of power. But I mean, he's what sec- he's second in the country in home runs now, and yeah. yeah, he's starting. He's starting to hit the ball a little bit better for contact now. He's not striking out at a crazy rate anymore. He's more patient as a hitter, and. The biggest thing with Judd is he's going the other way. Early, yeah. Very early, you know, early and midway through the season, he was very pull happy. I think it's now to the point that he knows that he can't pull, you know, a ball in the outside corner. He can't pull up for a homer. And to be honest with you, he has good power to the opposite field. I think, you know, he. I think the pressure to him, you know, about the draft, him being, might be, you know, hey, this guy could be the first position player taken in the draft. You know, I think it might have gotten to him, you know, put a little bit of extra pressure yeah. on him because he's a guy that would have gotten a lot of money if he would have actually stayed for his senior year in high school because, I mean, I thought he would have been a second-round pick out of high school. But, I mean, he's took a, he's played, he's gambled on himself. And right now I think he's a mid to late first-round pick. I still, you know, about a month ago I would say he's he probably should go back to Florida because he'd be a third-round pick and – He's only 20 years old. 
That's a, that's another thing. He's 20 years old, and he's draft eligible. This is his third year. So he's a guy that he's got the most leverage out of any um, prospect in this draft because he's so he's so young enough that he can decline to go this year, has, a, has I think, like two more years of eligibility because mm-hmm. last year didn't count. He's still technically a sophomore, but he'll be a 21-year-old junior. He'll be back to, you know, what he was supposed to be if he hadn't um, left, left early for school. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how play, high school kids can leave early for school like that. And he, he, But you know what? I mean, it worked, it's worked out for him. And I, I still expect him to go in the first round. But like you say, he's only 20 years old, so he's going to be one of the youngest guys in the in the draft amongst college draft college draft eligible players. Yeah. And another guy I've been impressed with this year is Nathan Hickey. I mean, this is a guy that just doesn't strike out. So – and unfortunately, I found out he's draft eligible, so now I don't expect him to come back. That gone, but, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's going to be gone. But I wanted to ask you about him specifically because I wanted to know what what you think his future position is at the next level. Because me personally, I, he's we see he's not really a catcher because he's not a great defensive catcher, but his bat is so good you have to put him in the lineup. I, me personally, I see him as a first baseman, or maybe, or even just a DH. Like, what about you? I think DH or first base is probably the most likely option. But let's say for some reason, you know, I I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't think it'll happen. But let's say for some reason the universal DH still has not arrived yet, and Nathan Hickey is on a National League team, and that National League already has a first baseman. I think he can. I think he can handle in left field. You know, left field. I think he's got a good enough arm. I just don't think he's a very good receiver behind the plate. Mm. And, you know, just the other things that it takes to be a very good defensive catcher. Now, his bat will, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think Scott's can care less about his defense because if he performs, if he produces at the plate, that's all That's all they really care. And he, and he, you know, for a guy that has his type of power, he has a really good eye. He's a guy that doesn't chase too much out of the zone. Um, does, take, has taken a lot of walks this year. I think he's like one of the best in the SEC and on base percentage. I think he's top five. He's a guy that you know he's going to be. He's going to be a very patient hitter, but also when he swings, he he does damage. And he's a guy that you know might not. You know, I, I don't think he's close to ten homers. I think he's around like five or six. But he's a guy that shoots the ball in the gaps and drives in runs whenever there's runners in on in scoring position. Yeah, I don't know if anybody can confirm or deny this, but I'm convinced that he and Charlotte Echoes work together. They they work together in the batting cages because they literally, they both literally don't strike out. It's funny. I was watching a softball game today, and they said that Charlotte Echoes has only struck out twice this year. It's My. pretty much the same thing with Nathan Hickey on the baseball team. You know, like you said, he doesn't he doesn't chase balls. He's I think he leads the team and walks also. So I mean, he he's not chasing everything. He's he has the power, like you said, and he's just he's hitting the ball where it's pitched. Also, I don't think he's trying to pull everything, but once he gets, uh, he's the same way. Once he gets a hold of one, it's gone. Yeah, his power is definitely towards the pull side, but he does a good enough job of hitting the ball to the other side where you know you you can't just live on the outside corner with him because. 
he'll just slap it the other way for a base hit, or if he gets it down the line, a double. Um, so he's a guy that it's he's he's difficult to pitch against. He's because he's going to do a good job of putting you know making good contact, but also you know not giving you many free strikes. You know. Yeah, and I wanted to ask both of you guys this: mm-hmm. like, who's someone that's had that's surprised you this year with how good they played, but also, but also, give me someone who's surprised you by how they haven't played as well as they they should have played this year. Like, who who's who are those two guys for you, for both of you guys? Uh, well, for me, of course, you know, um, there's a lot of hype about Fabian. Um, you know, going into this season, I was very excited about him. You know, he's having a, a very good year, but you know, he could he could always do more, I guess. Uh get us some victories, you know, overall versus the whole team. But uh I think a guy that's been impressive is Sterling Thompson, who's hitting three eighteen at home. You know, that that's very impressive. Uh I really wanna know or see how he pans out and see how uh his future unfolds. He he seems pretty promising, so that's going to be huge for him later. Yeah, for me, the player that surprised me, and I wouldn't say surprised because I talked to him during the draft process, and he told me all 30 teams expressed interest in him when, hmm. when he was coming around to the draft. It was Kobe Alter. Kobe Alter is a 300 hitter. Yeah. He's probably the, one of the best freshmen, hitting freshmen in the infield. I mean, he's a 300 hitter. He's He's a great run producer, and he produces in the bottom of the order. Which, you know, when you have when you have guys that can produce in the bottom of the order, that just makes pitchers' lives miserable because they, they don't get a break. You know, you you deal with a top of the order that Florida has, and it's a very difficult top of the order. And now you go to the bottom of the order, and you have another three hundred hitter and a guy that can absolutely do damage, especially with runners in score position. So it's not like oh, this is a pretty easy out. No, this is a guy that is probably more difficult than some of the guys that you've already seen. But he's a freshman, and he's done really well. Unfortunately, um, Thompson and I th- and I believe Alter are both draft-eligible sophomores next year. Mm-hmm. So I think both – I know for sure Thompson is. I'm not sure if Alter is a draft-eligible sophomore next season. But I know Thompson, you know, Thompson right now is playing for, for, uh, for his draft position next year. But, you know, he's a guy that I'm – honestly, if the pandemic never happened – None of those guys make it to Florida. So Florida's very lucky to have those guys, especially Thompson, because Thompson was a guy that they actually flipped from Stetson. And when they flipped him, and I said Stetson commit, people were looking at me like, wait, why the hell are we, get, why the hell is Florida getting guys from Stetson? Yeah. And I was like, I'm like, look at the size and watch his swing. And it's a gorgeous swing. And he was a, he was a late bloomer. That was another thing. Like, he wasn't a guy that was highly ranked, but he ended up being a top 60 prospect in high school baseball. And scouts and people that follow the draft said if he would have had a full season, he's a second or third round draft pick. That's the type of talent he was. Mm. And for a guy like that to actually make it to Florida, you know, is very encouraging. And I know Kevin O'Sullivan was very excited to to get him on campus. Oh, yeah. by the way, um, yeah, I forgot to mention the player that I, um, I guess you could say disappointed. Um, Josh Rivera, the shortstop. He's a guy that I, I'm still very high on. I look at his t- skill set and I see a five tool type player. I think he just makes a lot of mental mistakes, and that was very, 
you know, you could see it early in the season. He's a guy that plays with a lot of passion. He really wants to do well, and if something doesn't go his way, you know, it kind of gets on him. And you, we saw it in the beginning of the season. He wasn't, you know, his bad at bats were were affecting him on the field. He was making a lot of errors that he that he shouldn't make. I mean, he's a great glove and a guy that I think is very capable of hand, handling the shortstop position at the SEC level and at the major league level. I think he's a great. I think he's actually got you know a really good glove, really good glove and a cannon for an arm. It, we just haven't seen it this year, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, his early season, early season struggles. However, he has looked much better as the season has gone on. He's no longer a sub-200 hitter. I think he's around 240, 250. It's not great, but it's a lot better where he, where he was, you know, I would say about a month or two ago. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, the player that surprised me the most, I would agree with Kobe Halter. I mean, because for him to come in and do what he's doing, you know, not only just at the plate but in the field, I mean – He's, he's a great glove in the field for him to come in and immediately become a starter and play the way he's playing is it, very impressive. You can see that, you know, his, the sky's the limit for him. And I think he's going to become a much better hit. He's going to be a much better hitter next year. And I think the power is going to be, I think he's going to add power next year also. And for me, the player that's disappointed the most, it would have been very easy for me to say Josh Rivera because I agree with everything you said about him, but this was going to shock you. For me, it's Ben Speck because I think we all expected him to be the closer for this team, and he just has not pitched to the to the level that he's capable of pitching. We've seen him do it before. We've seen him pitch really well during the COVID season, but the season before that as well. But he's he just hasn't he just hasn't pitched to the level that we know him to pitch at, and you know he's gotten into it with Kevin O'Sullivan about you know the pitch counts and the the type the pitches he throws. I I don't I don't know what it what it is with him, but I hope he gets it figured out because I think he could be a, he can be an arm that we could use not only in the postseason for this year, but maybe next year. If and when he returns, yeah, I would I would agree with you on the Sprott. I mean, not Sprott spec, but another player I would throw in that has been a positive surprise is Jordan Carrion. Now I've 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 followed this Carrion kid because my brother's about the same age as him. We've my fam, my brother has played against him since he was maybe eight nine years old. He was always a very skinny kid, but very fast and a great defensive player. But what he's done offensively this year has been very surprising in a good way because he's a guy that I thought needed a couple years to really fill in his frame. You, 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 we, we see he's a super skinny kid, but he's got great speed, and he's actually been pretty good option out of the bullpen. That was another thing that I mentioned when he, when he signed with Florida. I realized that they had him down as a shortstop slash right-handed pitcher. At that point, I realized they, they recruited him as a utility guy, and he was a closer in his high school. I mean, you know, you could see he's got a cannon for an arm when he's in his position. And then now he tops out 90, 91 on the mound and also has a pretty good breaking ball. So I think he, I think he's another guy that the Gators can count on coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. I mean, and 
for him to be a two-way player, I'm like, I mean, he's he's hit the ball well as, as well when he's up there. I I, I love I love what Jordan Jordan Carrion brings to the team. And question is, is he going to be a position player full time, or is he going to be a full time pitcher? I mean, we 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 don't know. But I, oh, I'll I, tell I you what. Yeah, I'll tell you right now what. He, I'll tell you right now what. He, what he what he's best at. He's a better he's a better better position player. And a lot of that has to do with he, how great of a defensive player he is, especially at the shortstop position. You need guys that can absolutely play lights out defense. Jordan Carrion can do that. You know, he he, he can be, He's a position player that can also pitch when you need it. Kind of like what Jordan Butler was for Florida the past few years. And so finally, they decided not to really use him as a pitcher this year, and for him just to focus with the bat. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Now, I kind of want to shift to, you know, some of the high school prospects that we have that have signed because I already know that – let's just get this out of the way. There's two that we know for sure that we are losing, and it is the two pitchers who I feel like are the top two pitchers in the country, and both Chase Petty and Andrew Painter. We're losing them. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. They're not stepping on campus. Unless a miracle happens and they decide, hey, you know, let's just go and try this college thing out. I don't expect that to happen. Petty's stopping out at 103, apparently. So, yeah, we, we, we can forget about those two. I wanted to ask specifically about – you said what? No, I, I said, yeah, yeah, both those guys are very unlikely to make it. I'm going to put – I'm going to put a 99.9% chance that they end up in a minor league uniform before the end of the year. So now that we got those two out the way, the one the the couple the one guy I wanted to ask you about was Jay Allen, of course, because mm. Jerry and I we talked to Nick, and Nick apparently said that there's a chance he steps on campus because you know he know he, he knows he needs to develop as a player, and he absolutely loves Florida. Now this kid's a three sport star, and I put emphasis on star because as a quarterback I've seen his film he's a great quarterback he's got a great arm and as a basketball player he's clearly the best player on the court whenever he's playing and then as a baseball player we know what he can we know what he can do out there so he's not a the reason why I say he knows he needs to develop is because unlike some of these other top prospects he's not a full-time baseball player like that he's not playing year-round He's playing other sports. So would you say that there's a chance he makes it to campus or do you expect him to go pro as well? I think he I think at the end of the day he ends up going pro, but you know, I agree with it. There is definitely a possibility he ends up at Florida. And, you know, he is very he's a very raw talent and a guy that, you know, it didn't take him very long to commit to Florida. This is a kid that is a top thirty player in the country, perfect game all American had one offer for baseball. It was Florida. At that point, he said, okay, I'm done. Once Florida offered, he pretty much told the Florida coaching staff, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done recruiting. Let's go. Let me just focus on improving myself on the football field, the basketball court, and as a baseball player. It, he want, He's wanted to go to Florida forever, but when the MLB comes calling and when they're offering the type of money that they could potentially be offering Jay Allen, I would not blame him one second for taking – for heading to the pros. 
But he, you know, the team, whatever team, let's say there's a team that does take him early rounds and he doesn't end up at Florida. It's a team that really sees what he's capable of and that they believe that they can develop his bat. Because that's the thing that they're, that's the only real question mark, you know. It's, he hasn't played a ton of baseball because he's, you know, he's got other sports. He's, you know, he's probably the best basketball player on his team and also, you know, was an Elite 11 quarterback. So with all that, you know, baseball, you know, he probably still has a lot left to baseball, you know, to learn and to develop. So it's to the point that once they get him fully committed to baseball, they think that his bat is going to really, you know, change. Because he's, he's very good defensively. He's got a good arm. He can play center field. can play all three outfield positions. But with his speed, athleticism, you want him in center field. But he can also steal a ton of bags. He's a guy that if he goes to Florida, can realistically – be you know replace Judd Fabian if Fabian does not return next for next season. Yeah, who who would be your player comparison with him? Because for me, I see I, I see one player that I can compare him to, and it's Buddy Reed. So who would be that player for you to compare him to if you made a comparison? If I had to compare him to anybody, I would actually go with the guy, a bigly guy, and I'm saying like this is. If he, you know, if he develops his hit tool and, you know, taps into the power that he has, but he hasn't showed it in games yet, I think a guy like Mike Cameron, a guy that can, you know, make a couple all-star games, you know, be a 20-20 guy, still 20 bags, also hit 20 home runs, and also, you know, have a pretty solid batting average. I think I think he's that type of player, Mike Cameron. Yeah, I, I can see Mike Cameron also. So with some of the other players – like who's the who? Who are some of the other prospects in their signing class that you know are going to have a decision to make whether to come to Florida or or go go pro? Jesus, man, where do I start? I mean, when when you have the number one recruiting class in the country, it, it's going to be tough to keep a lot of your top guys. So I mean, I'll start with one that I, I don't think makes it to campus. Um, catcher Rene Lastres. He is one of the top high school ring catchers in the country, perfect game All-American, a guy that has stupid power, 6'3", 205, you know, offensive catcher, a guy that not only has one of the best pop times in the country but can does everything that you would want a catcher to be. But, you know, I don't think he makes it to campus. I think he's a third-round pick, third or fourth-round pick in the MLB draft. I think he takes it. And Florida, you know, I say stuck but I really don't mean it because I think he's going to be a very good player. You know, their catcher will be Matt Gusecki. And I think Florida fans will be perfectly okay with having a guy with, like Matt Gusecki who is good behind the play but also has produced, you know, as a hitter. Yeah, yeah, Matt Gusecki. Yeah, and, and that was that was another quick question I had. Is there an update on him when, whether he can return to the team? From injury, I mean, maybe from maybe later on, you know, he right now it's a you know he had a fractured bone, so it's a little bit of a process. You know, you got to let the bone recover. You got to first let the bone heal, and then you have you know, you have therapy. You have to put strength inside that. You know, you have to strengthen that bone. So we'll see what happens. I think maybe towards the end of the season, once we get to the playoffs, we might see him again. But right now, you you, you can't bench Nathan Hickey. And no, I won't, you know, you know, you move Hickey to DH. But if Nikki, if Hickey is capable enough to catch three games, you know, three games in a row, 
then you, and you're able to keep Kendrick Kyle and Chris Armstrong in your lineup, you you live with that. You absolutely, you know, you love that, you love that, you know, you love what that brings to your program because you know you don't have to. And I wouldn't say sacrifice offense because I think both those guys, you know, I think all of those guys can hit, but you know, Kyle Lyle and Chris Armstrong are right now really hot hitters, and the last thing you want to do to a hot hitter is bench them. Yeah, yeah, you definitely, yeah, yeah. you definitely can't bench them at this point because, I mean, because of how well they're hitting and. You know, Gassetti was hitting well, but, you know, he's been out for a while now. So I can see what you mean about him not being – about not putting them in the lineup right now unless it's a pinch hit situation. And yeah, there was another guy we talked – there was a couple of other outfielders that we talked about that are prospects that have signed with Florida. And Oh, Michael and Corey – Michael Robertson and Corey Robinson. Wait, are they related in any kind of way? No, one's Robinson and the other one Robertson. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I wanted to ask about those two because, you know, I went back after we discussed it, after we discussed both of them, I went back and kind of looked at everything, their film and everything, looked at their highlights. And one thing that stuck out to me with both was speed. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely great speed from both guys. And I wanted to get your take on both of them and the kind of impact they can make if they step on campus. Even though I expect them to step on campus, but what kind of impact do you think they could have once they get on campus? Well, for starters, Michael Michael Robertson is the second fastest kid in his class. He is in the 99.97 percentile when it comes to 60-yard dash in his class. The average is a seven, is a seven-two-seven. That's the average 60-yard dash in his class. He runs a six-thirty. He's almost a full second faster than the average prospect, which is a lot. And then when you look at the exit velocity, you know, he's more of a basic guy, basic kind of hitter. You know, his, you know, his top exit velocity. At least on perfect games, 90, which is in the 80 percentile. But then you look at, you know, the outfield arm strength. He's got a good glove out on the outfield. You know, he's. I think he's a very talented player, and that's another guy that can play center field. He's got. He's got a lot of nice tools. Left-handed hitter, six one one seventy. Still has plenty of room to fill in his frame. One guy that's actually filled in his frame quite nicely is Corey Robinson. Corey Robinson looked. I watched him pitch again. Not pitch play against um, Calvary Christian because it was Andrew Painter versus Brandon Neely, another. And I was watching those two guys pitch, and one thing I noticed, Corey's their leadoff hitter, and he has filled in his, like, he looked stronger. Like, it says here on Perfect Game, he weighs 165. He might have added 10 to 15 pounds um, to his frame. I mean, he's only about 5'11", so he's not a big, tall kid that runs well. He's a smaller guy, but can absolutely run well and also puts the ball in play. He does a good job of just putting bats the ball, and I was very impressed with what I saw with him. He's a guy that I think if he makes it to campus, will definitely push for early playing time, if not center field, maybe left field, because I don't expect uh, Jacob Young to come back. I think some team will take a chance on him in the early rounds. But, I mean, this Florida recruiting class is stacked. They got like 21, 22. I think they have about 22 – they have 21 kids, high school kids committed, 
and two JUCO guys. One of them has signed. The other one has publicly signed, but he has an official. Yeah, I saw you had Jacob Young projected to go to the Marlins in the fifth round, and you know if, he, if that happens, he's gone. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's he's gone if that happens. And Brandon, you said Brandon Neely. That's another guy I wanted to ask about. Like, where do you see him coming in? Do you see him just as a bullpen guy or a potential starter? I think he'll push for. Well, it also depends on which pitcher stay. Does there's, there's a guy like Ty Evans, not Ty Evans, um, Pierce Capala, the six eight lefty out of New Jersey. You know that kid looks like he, he kind of looks he you know he looks like a smaller version of Randy Johnson. You have another another lefty out of North Carolina, Philip Abner, a guy that has been talked about being one of the top players in his class ever since he committed to Florida. You know, then you got Neely, who you, I like a lot. Fisher Jamison, who was a bright university commit, Florida flipped him, and he's now a top 200 player in the country, ranked 191. You know, Anthony Orsitti, Kyle Larson, who was originally part of the 2022 recruiting class, but then moved up and is now a top 270 player in the country, and Carl Hartman. I mean, there's a lot of pitchers, and a lot of these guys have done really well, including Brandon Neely. So it's going to be difficult to see, you know, once once to see which pitchers actually make it a campus then I can have a better idea. But for the most part, I think he'll end up, you know, in the bullpen or a midweek starter. Yeah, you, you mentioned the um, – I can't pronounce his name. Coppola, him being 6'8". I mean, you see pitchers six, like eight, that. Two, and, you said what? He's 6'8 and only weighs 215 pounds. He is a twig. Yeah, but, but a twig that pops out at 97. Yeah, I was going to say, you see pitchers at that size throwing 97. I mean, you don't hardly expect them to stay on camp, to come to campus. And so, I mean, I love that Florida's recruiting these guys. You you have to recruit these guys or, you know, they decide to go to college and you don't recruit them. They go to somewhere like Vanderbilt. Now you have to face them. So, yeah, you have to recruit these guys. And what, I guess what's hard about it, because some, some, some people – don't understand. Some, there are some people that will be like, oh, how come he's be, they're recruiting him? He's not going to make the campus. You just never know. Look at Carson Whitson when he was in high school. Ninth overall pick, he still and he still came to college. So you, you just never know with some of these guys. Well, yeah. a lot of people said, said that when Florida flipped Hunter Barker from Virginia and like, like, okay. Everyone thought it was like a power move that Barker was doing to help help his draft stock because now it's just Florida commit instead of Virginia. Virginia's a hell of a program, but when it comes to pitchers, you know, Florida and Vanderbilt are the two places that, you know, pitchers come from. So a lot of people thought that that was going to be a bargaining tool, you know, like, hey, if you don't pay me what I need, what I want, I'm going to go to Florida. And he, he, did, he did end up going to Florida. He hasn't been great this year, but his last two starts have been what you expect out of a guy that, that you know, like Hunter Barco. Yeah, Jerry, did you have a question also? Oh yeah. Um, what do you guys think about Chase Petty? Is there a chance that he, you know, makes it on campus or? Uh, no. Is he here? Not at all. Oh. He he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. I wish we could get him, but 
a guy throwing around 97. Uh, yeah. You guys still there? Yeah, we're still here. Yeah. Oh, I thought I lost you guys for a second. It went, it went cold for, for a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, he asked about Chase Petty, and I just pretty much let him know, no, no chance he makes yeah. that. <laughs> no, Petty, Petty, and, you know. And the thing about the thing, the thing about Petty is, he's a really good hitter, also. Sheesh. I mean, I mean, he's he's hitting bombs for his team, so he's a great hitter for his high school team as well. So. Yeah, but then again, he's playing in New Jersey. I mean, how many other how many players from New Jersey do you know, not named Mike Trout? Oh, good point. That, that, that is the, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, the, I know the town. I know Florida has two commits from New Jersey, and so, and both of them are perfect game All Americans. But you know, they're you know, New Jersey usually isn't a very talent rich pool like it is in Florida, Georgia, Texas, California. You know, mostly Southern states. You're gonna get elite talent, especially mm-hmm. especially in the Southeast where. You know, you can get, you know, Alabama has some really nice players. You can find some players in Mississippi. But the two states that I think have really done a great job of producing elite high school and collegiate talent is Georgia and Florida. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that. And you you may be able to find some talent in in the New York metro area as well. I mean, they've had some players come out of New York also. So, yeah, I mean, you never you know. Florida, and, you could you could be Florida, end up finding um, you know, Harrison Bader out in Brooklyn. You know, you can, you know, Florida can get lucky like that. Find a guy like, like um, Harrison Bader out in Brooklyn, New York, and end up being a number one overall pick in his draft and a major league center fielder. Yeah, just as long as you don't, just as long as you don't convince them to go to Rutgers, so you can cover them there too. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I don't tell any. I don't tell kids where to go, man. I'm just, I'm here. I'm, I'm here for them to make the best decisions that they think that that's for them. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's you know that and that goes with guys that are draft eligible. You know, I they don't ask for my opinion. And I don't give it to them of what they should and shouldn't do. Even if they ask, I wouldn't do it because at that point, you know, it's their it's their decision. It's their decision. Their family, you know. It's is really none of my business. The only thing I do ask is just how things are going with them in the draft process, and you know if there's some information that I won't even ask for because I know it's private and if it leaked out, you know they would they would be pissed for all the right reasons. Yeah, I, I agree, and we're gonna shift gears here to football because I know J- Jerry here may have a few questions and plus we want to get your opinion on some of these things with some of these things too. Um, and just to get your opinion on recapping the draft, were you surprised by anything in the draft concerning some of the Florida players that got drafted? I was surprised that Trayvon Grimes went undrafted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really the biggest surprise to me. Like how yeah. did a guy with that size, that speed, that strength and that type of production not go drafted? Like, like you can't you. I honestly, you know, especially with the other receivers he had around him. You know, mm-hmm. he had Kadarius Tony, and he also had um, Kyle Pitts, the best tight end, you know, in college football. Sorry, my American fans, but I think it's obvious Kyle Pitts is the best 
tight end in college football. Probably the greatest tight end, one of the greatest tight ends in college football history. Yeah. So, yeah, no more Brevin Jordan. Even with Kyle Pitts, debate. No, when 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 Brevin Jordan was taking two picks before Evan McPherson, the co- the conversation was definitely <laughs> that conversation was clearly over. But yeah, I mean, even with all those guys around him, it was you know he still produced at a high level. And granted, you know Kyle Travis threw I think four, forty plus four. touchdowns. So yeah. you know Kyle was definitely spreading the ball around. But Trayvon is. Is a really good receiver. I think he's a guy. I think he's going to a pretty good spot. I know the Eagles drafted Devonte Smith in the first round, but the Eagles definitely need help at the wide receiver position. And I think Trayvon can definitely do it. I think you know having Brian Johnson over there. I think Brian Johnson knows what he does best and is going to do whatever he you know already knows you know how to you know how to use utilize um, Trayvon. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to definitely play a huge role if Trayvon is going to stay on the Eagles roster or not. Yeah, yeah I agree. I don't, I, I, I still cannot understand how he didn't get drafted. I mean, like you said, he had that kind of production while having Kadarius Sony and Kyle Pitts <laughs> in, in that receiving core. And on top of that, watch the SEC championship game. Did he not go over uh, the ninth overall pick in the draft? Him and Tyson Campbell. And Tyson. He absolutely did. did Yeah, and Tyson Campbell, who was a very early second-round pick. Did he not catch a touchdown over them? I mean. Yeah, yeah, I think Georgia fans are still having nightmares of that catch. (laughs) I think that's when they realized that game was over. You know, just right before halftime, he makes that type of catch. And they have Georgia fans probably like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you you just knew the game was over. Yeah, yeah, you you knew the game was over right there once that happened, and and yeah, like I said, I'm I'm just shocked that he didn't even get drafted. I don't understand. Yeah, what he could possibly have done for that to happen for him not to get drafted. I don't understand that. And another I mean, Trey McKitty had Trey McKitty had six catches all of last season. Oh my the third round. I mean, I I know McKitty's got the frame and could develop into somebody, you know, a really nice player. But, I mean, does anybody question the size, strength, and speed that Trayvon Grimes has? Nope. And then to put, you know, to pile it on, Trayvon played against, you know, great competition. He played against some of the top corners in the country and beat those receivers. Yep. So, I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense. But then again, sometimes the NFL draft just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, pretty much, you know, that's what I thought as well because, when you look at, you know, the guys that he's played with at Florida, the Van Jeffersons, Freddie Swains, Tyree Cleveland, in my opinion, he was, you know, more talented than Tyree and Freddie Swain, who were both drafted. So, you know, it was, like, very confusing for me. And I thought I thought he was a very, very good, you know, uh, blocker on the outside for Tony. And he did a lot of little things. So I'm, I'm not too sure what the issue was there. Anthony? Yeah, I'm still – yeah, we're still here. Yeah, I just I couldn't hear you guys. Yeah, um, for for me another surprise was honestly the fact that Evan McPherson went in the fifth round. I mean, I mean, if the kicker gets drafted, first of all, the team's selling you basically you're the starter, and so he was the only yeah. kicker that was drafted. But I mean, I think we were all surprised that. 
he even decided to go pro. And once yeah. he did, yeah, once he did, it was like, okay, he, he missed a few kicks this year that he should have made. Should he really be going pro? Hey, he shut us all up by getting drafted in the fifth round, and he's going to a great spot. So I, I think he's going to be very successful in Cincinnati. They got a nice young team up there. Yeah. Very young, very talented players. They're very young, but they're very talented. They're going to get Joe Burrow back. So I think they could make some noise in the AFC North up there. And another another question I had was, and you know, because I, I saw this today. First of all, they got Kadarius Tony wearing number eighty nine for the Giants. Disgusting. Pick, yeah, yeah. They couldn't pick another. They couldn't pick a different number. <laughs> so I wanted. I, I, I think wearing Cowboys, number eighty nine adds half a second to your forty time. I don't know. It's <laughs> well. First of all, as a Cowboys fan, I'm gonna have nightmares about having to face him twice a year. So that's already gonna be pain for me. But I wanted to. He's gonna be collecting. He's gonna be collecting Parsons' ankles. <laughs> yeah, see, we're we're not gonna put Micah Parsons on him. Actually, my, speaking of Micah Parsons, he's they said he's gonna start off at middle linebacker. So oh, we don't okay. have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that, thankfully. But I wanted to get your opinion on where. How do you think he fits in with the Giants? Well, well, I think Tony's. The perfect slot, you know, I think he's a perfect slot receiver for them. They got they got a good tight end, Evan and Wright. They have some, they have some, you know, outside receivers. I think right now, Tony's a guy that you, you, you know, just like how he started off his career at Florida, you just gotta find ways to get the ball in his hands and just let, watch him go to work because he's a guy that is incredibly explosive. Like I said, he will collect people's ankles. I mean, he collected a Florida State Seminoles ECL. That was that was difficult to watch, but. You know, Tony. Tony's something different, and the Giants knew that they just needed to get another playmaker, and they absolutely did. You know, outside of maybe Eliza Moore, and and I think it's close with Tony and Moore. I think those were the two most explosive playmakers available in the draft. And you know, you can argue which one's more explosive: is it Eliza Moore or is it Kadarius Tony? But either way, I think the Giants are going to be very happy with their with their first round pick. And might not have been happy, you know, when they first made the pick. But I think as Tony continues to play for the Giants, he will quickly become a fan favorite and a guy that is going to be on a lot of highlight films. For sure, yeah, definitely. You know, I've been watching Kadarius since he was in high school, man. He just seems to, wherever you put him, he's going to make a difference on the team. You know, he's he's an amazing player, and uh, I think they'll be very, very pleased. And I, I think a lot of rivals that doubted Kadarius will be very shocked at how well he plays. I mean, the guy is spectacular, you know. So he's, he's going to be a guy that I think can change the game and how, you know, a lot of these guys mimic, you know, guys' moves and everything. I think Kadarius will be a guy that people try to mimic one day. And it may not go well for the ACLs, but, you know, hey. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely something that we haven't seen in a long time. Exactly. I mean, that can move like that and change direction just so suddenly. It's insane. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So like then, a, do not try to run a four three go with it. You said what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you when watching Tony's highlight films, just probably say on the bottom, "Do not try this at home," because one thousand know, percent. Some of the stuff that he, he that he can do, honestly, it hurts my knees when I'm watching. I'm just watching him, and I I can feel my knees. You know, like tensed up. 
Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. It's going to be like the old WWE when they used to, right before it comes on, they put on the graph, they do not, please do not try this at home. Yeah, you're going to have to, I agree, you're going to do that for every highlight that comes up with him because, matter of fact, don't, if anybody gets hurt trying to tackle him, just don't show it. Just don't show it. Like, please don't show it. We don't need to see how his uh, somebody's leg goes one way and their knee goes the other way. Like, we, yeah, we, we we're not going to need to see that. But twice a year, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in pain watching them, praying that nobody tears their ACL in Dallas. We, we don't need that. I'm trying to tackle him. Look, just get in front of him and hope not to tear nothing. <laughs> That's all I say. Now, uh, AB, I have a question, man, um, and for Hector as well. Uh, I've been seeing, you know, mock drafts. I like watching early mock draft season and everything like that. Um, what do you guys think of Emory Jones being a top ten pick in uh, recent mock drafts for twenty twenty two? I was completely shocked when I saw that. <laughs> First of all, I was shocked that it said six overall, but then, but then when I saw what team it was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my, you know, my, my, my eyes got a little, um, you know, I got a little incensed because it had a Philadelphia Eagles logo on them. And I was sitting there <laughs> saying, you know, you, you, you guys just want me to be in pain, huh? <laughs> like, you, you guys really want to do this to me. But he would have to have a Heisman type season for that to happen. Yeah. In my so if he has a Heisman type season in Florida, you know, Plays in the college football playoff, possibly for a national championship. I, 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 I can. I mean, because the sky's the limit for him with his skill set. Mm. The fact that he can run, and you know he has a cannon of an arm. Yeah. The scouts are easily going to see that and be like, "Yeah, we could definitely. We this guy can definitely be a franchise quarterback for us." Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely got the arm talent. You know, we just got to see it and see on it consistent basis i mean you know for the most part when he's on the field everyone's like okay he's gonna run but he still gets eight yards yep. you know, he'll still average eight yards to carry even though the entire stadium knows he's gonna run with the football you know he's he's a very gifted runner it's really just can he put it all together as a passer yeah. if he can if he has let's say he throws like 33 touchdowns and six seven six or seven interceptions the number six overall pick might not, and you know, then you add like another ten or fifteen rushing with probably rushing for over like six hundred, seven hundred yards. Yeah. Maybe six hundred overall pick is realistic, especially if it's the Eagles, because who's their quarterback coach? Brian Johnson. Exactly. Brian Johnson would know exactly. would know what to do with them. Do I see it happening? No, because Florida's going to be going back, going to use a lot more. Is going to be more of a running team. So I don't think Emory would have the opportunity to throw for 30 touchdowns, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, we see the talent. We, we see what Emory Jones is capable of, but we just haven't, you know, we haven't actually seen it yet. We know what he's capable of. You know, you've seen this highlight film. You've seen some of the balls he's thrown when he's actually throwing the football. You know, it's, for the most part, pretty accurate. And it's a pretty – and he's got – you know, he's definitely got better – he's definitely got a stronger arm than Kyle Trask. But, you know, I don't think – I think – will be more explosive because Embry can take the, the better than Kyle Trask could have done. But what Kyle, you know, was great at was putting a drive together. He could put a 10 to 12 
methodically move the ball, mm-hmm. you know, score like a five, like a like a goal line touchdown in Kyle Pitts. Yeah, so he 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 had that capability. I'm not sure if Emory Jones has that in him at least for now because we haven't seen it yet. So that's why I think if get to that level, I don't think he will because you know to go from a backup quarterback pick would be an. I think you know people already pray quarterback guru. Well, at this point, you know, people, you know, just praying to Daniel because, because you just turned back a quarterback into two stars, the second round pick. But the turning guy that has never that hasn't started a call and to turn into the sixth overall pick, doesn't matter how talented he is, he still hasn't, you know, he hasn't played. Uh, you know, he hasn't started in three years at Florida. If he exactly. does, if he turns him into a sixth overall pick, you know, one year as a starter. You know, everyone's got to be singing their praises about Mullen and his ability to develop the quarterbacks. Definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. And uh, the, what surprised me about this mock draft that Jerry's talking about was both Ventrell Miller and Brent Cox mm. being projected. Jerry and I talked about this before, and we both basically said, we got to see it with them. We don't see it yet. I mean, the athleticism is there with Brink. Can he learn to set the edge and stop the run and become a complete defensive end? And for Ventrell Miller, I said before, if you remember David Reese, the kind of season he had, even though he wasn't nearly the first-round pick, I the kind of season he had where he was flying around the football, he was making every tackle, I said if Ventrell Miller has that kind of season, then, yeah, I could see him being a first-round pick. Yeah, definitely. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. So, Hector, what do you think about that? So, let's – let me think about it real quick. So, Brandon Cox, I can definitely see it. And one reason why is I think he's going to have a really nice year and a big reason why he plays the buck position. And I know what people think about Todd Granton, but one thing that he consistently does at Florida is – you know, but that the buck position is get to the quarterback and go and get to the quarterback consistently. And Brandon Cox has that ability, you know, the athleticism, the quickness, and the to get to get to the quarterback. If he, if, you know, we've seen the talent. We saw it early in the year. You know, we didn't see it towards the end. But I think he's a guy that can realistically get about ten sacks. You know, ten sacks this season. Um, maybe some forced fumbles. And the biggest thing that's going to be with him is to set that edge and become more of a, you know, complete edge rusher. Not only a guy that can just get to the quarterback, but a guy that can also, you know, contribute to the run game. I think that that's really the next step for him because I think as a pure pass rusher, he's got he's got first-round ability. As for Ventro Miller, it's going to be tough. I think he's a better athlete. You know, you have to say David Reese. Better athlete than David Reese. I think he does a better job of getting sideline to sideline. I think Reese was more of just downhill. Yeah. And Ventro's got that ability. He can go downhill and smack somebody, you know, smack them somebody in the mouth. I mean, we saw it in the Ole Miss game. Uh, <laughs> I think it was on fourth down that he absolutely stonewalled. I think it was Ely, Jerry on Ely. Yeah. He's also a really good baseball player. Um, but he stonewalled him. But he's also a guy that, you know, if if it's a pitch, he can get to the outside and make the tackle, 
am I, do I think he's a first-rounder? No, I don't think he's a first-rounder, but I think he's a guy that can play in the NFL for a while, and I think he will still be a second, third, or fourth-round pick. If he could stay healthy and produce at the level that I expect him to. I think a guy everybody is sleeping on is Zachary Carter. I mean, when you look at what yeah. Zach since his sophomore year, nothing but effort, consistency, you know, punishing guys in front of him. I mean, he's he's been a guy that just he you know, he's so valuable to us and so consistent that we sometimes we forget about how good he is. So I think he's one guy if if he has a breakout year this year and just does a little bit more than what he did last year. I mean, he can easily be a guy that we talk about in the, you know, maybe mid first round, uh, you know, to early second round type guy. I mean, he has all the tools. He's he's a lot like uh, John Greener to me. And I mean, who knows? I mean, Zach has a lot of potential. Yeah, Zach, yeah, I, Zach Carter. Go ahead. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Yeah, I was I was gonna say, yeah, Zach Carter is a guy that I mean, what he also brings is versatility. You know, you mm-hmm. saw him play inside, you saw him play outside. He's gonna be a guy that he's gonna have I think coming up as well. And once he when he gets it going and he gets active down there, I don't see anybody that's gonna be able to block him. I mean, you put him next to Gervin Dexter. Next to Antonio Valentino, Daquan Newkirk, and then you got Brendan Cox on the other side. I mean, who 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 do you block? I mean, who do you double? Who are you going to double team out of that? Yeah, you, you give Zach Carter one on one matchups. My money's on him to win every single one of those matchups. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, those, on paper, you would think. The Florida's front seven is is going to be absolutely stacked, but I mean, we saw last year it, there was moments that it was very good, and then there was moments it wasn't very good. And Tyree Campbell was it was a huge piece to their defense, even though he didn't get drafted, but Slayton got drafted mm-hmm. fifth round to the Packers. So how does Florida play him? Well, five star, you know, weight in the wings, and a guy that has incredible size and girth. And then you have Antonio from Penn State and Daquan from Auburn, and from what everyone's been saying, those guys have been great. So, you know, if you're and you're hoping that the defensive tackle position, which has been a weak, which was kind of, I think it was, and what people give it credit, I think a lot of people are struggling to get play calls in. The defense wasn't necessarily fully set, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, Campbell and you know Slayton are still looking at the side, and the ball snapped, and all of a sudden the upside lineman gets the gets the edge because I mean Slayton's not even fully set to you know do what he's capable of doing, and all of a sudden he's you know the upside lineman just beats him to the punch and is able to create running lanes. But I think if Florida's coaching staff can get the play calls in quickly, and I have you know I I think we've seen some of the pictures. Uh, you know, guys getting bigger and stronger. I mean, Copeland and, you know, Justin Shorter look like action figures. But, you know, the one guy I want to see bigger is Muhammad Diabate. Oh, absolutely. I want to see – because I see the speed and the quickness with Diabate. And I think it was um, Rivals Mike. He actually said that he expects um, Diabate to make a big jump. And I think 
a big, you know, something for that, uh, for him to make that big jump, he needs to fill in his frame. Yeah. And also he needs yeah. to, you know, he, we had, they have to either decide, is he going to be an edge rusher or is he going to be a linebacker? I think if he plays well, because I think he can be a good edge rusher, but Florida has, you know, they already got Brandon Cox, they got Chris Bowe, a guy that I, I think, you know, is a great backup option for, for as an edge rusher. I think he's a starter in 90% of the colleges, but, you know, maybe even more, but. Chris Bowl was a viable option, you know. Bowl I think, is stacked at the buck position. So it's going to be really interesting to see if they, you know, use the Abate more in the buck or is he capable of playing linebacker, being every down linebacker. I, th- I think uh, Diabate, when you look at his freshman year, he was so productive at edge, man. I mean, he was so fast. Like, a lot of times you see him, he just look like a firecracker come off the edge. But this year, that Vanderbilt game was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was literally dominant in that game. And when you look at him this past year, at a at middle linebacker, sometimes he looked, you know, very, very lost. I think it was a play against uh, Arkansas that uh, he just, you know, got completely trap blocked, and it was just, it was just bad, you know. And I know he's a lot better than what we saw because he's such a tremendous athlete. You know, he's so quick. Um, but I, I feel like it was uh, – I, I don't I don't know why we changed his position, but I think that set him back a lot. I think I think a reason why they did it is because they, they're just trying to find a way to get him on the field because they already have Brennan Cox and they yeah. got Bogle who – you know, Bogle's difficult enough to keep him off the field because he is – I mean, we saw it in the Oklahoma game. You know, that was a nightmare game for Florida fans, but yeah. that was probably – Chris Bogle's that might be Chris Bogle's breakout game. Bogle's a monster. I mean, he he gave um, Spencer Rattler a difficult time, especially early in the game. Oh yeah. But but it's it's going to be difficult. I think they're just trying to find a way to keep Diabate on the field. You know, even and you know what? Maybe he can handle the linebacker position. But it was his first year. It was a learning curve. He was undersized. Maybe Definitely. if he starts getting bigger and stronger. Um, maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, more capable of being an every down linebacker. But for net, you know, last year, I, I just think he wasn't physically there. And also it was kind of, you know, the, he was playing a new position. So I think he was learning, you know, learning on the job. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it was almost like when we put Amari Bernie at star and then Trey Dean at star, the <laughs> fit's just not there. And speaking oh, yeah. of Amari Bernie. Trevez is the star. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that he definitely needs to be at star. But my question is, where where do you put Amari Bernie on the field? I mean, because I feel like he's too small to be a linebacker. I don't, I don't this, put him on the field. <laughs> I put him. I, I, I'm sorry. Like my safeties are trading and Rashad Torrance. Yeah. And if Corey Collier's ready, you know he could rotate in. And Same with Donovan and oh, I love McMillan. You know oh, what? Yeah. I'm really. I think McMillan would be a good linebacker, and he's a guy that can add weight quickly. You know, he, because he was a wrestler. If yeah. he's a linebacker with that type of speed, I mean, he would be a nightmare. And you know, he's a wrestler, so he's absolutely. Good. Bro. He's probably an excellent tackler. So, at worst, you know, I think if anything, he, you know, Donovan ends up being a strong safety. But if for some reason, let's say they're still struggling. At the linebacker position, they're okay with secondary guys. They could put, you know, 
they put Donovan a linebacker, and I think he'll be more than capable of being a quality linebacker, at least at the SEC level. Maybe even if he continues to develop, he can be a good linebacker in the NFL. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. McMillan's one of my favorite guys this past class. I love what McMillan can do. His, you know, his potential. Yeah, I've, t- I've talked to him some, and I can tell you right now, that kid can't wait to get on the field. He cannot wait to get on the field yeah. this upcoming season. And he's a smart kid, so he's, oh, he's yeah. going to be one of those kids that's going to be able to dissect the play before it happens. And like you said, with his, kind, with his speed and his ability to tackle, and when he tackles you, you're going to feel it. That's all I'm going to tell you. He's a you dog. Feel it. Dog, bro. You and the biggest thing, yeah, he, he, he hits hard, but the he hits hard. But the best thing about him is he's a sure tackler. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we've you know, Boson Joseph, if he got his hands on you, you know, be careful. But there was also some times where Boson would try to go for the kill and he'd miss. Yeah, you know, yeah. Donovan can go for the kill, and we'll probably get him more often than not. And if not, he he'll just be he'll he'll be able to take you down, you know, without a problem. Very skilled, very skilled tackler from what I saw in his high school film. I was very surprised at how good he was. And, you know, I, I don't know why he was so, uh, you know, underrated. Um, but, I mean, he's a guy, when you look at his body, he can – I mean, he, he looks like a versatile uh, – I mean, he can – it's big enough. He could even be a, a buck, you know, like uh, Brenton Cox, be a linebacker, be a safety. I mean, he he's a, he's a specimen, bro. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing – how he pans out. I mean, he looks like he's day one ready right now. Yeah, we'll see in fall camp. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And and like you said, we do we need sure tacklers out there. Corey Collier Jr. is also a sure tackler when you watch his film. So we definitely need that out there because like we discussed before, we don't need to see op- opposing running backs and receivers breaking yeah. 90 yarders on us. We do not need it with with five or six missed tackles because, you know, they're either trying to go for the kill or they're just arm tackling. We don't yeah. need yeah. to see that because Quick that's question. what – Yeah. How I, – I, I'm not sure because I haven't watched a ton of film of Marshall tackling, but how sure of a tackle, tackler is Jason Marshall because he's got great size. He's a pretty strong kid, tall and strong kid for a corner. So I would think, you know, a guy with his size – can can do can do a pretty good job of tackling. I think Kyrie Elam is also a good tackler as well, especially for a corner. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, from what I've seen on film, and we just look at Miami Palmetto as a whole, they all seem to be sure tacklers out there. I mean, I seen when you look at just the whole team, but Marshall in particular. But when you look at the team on film, that's the one thing that I noticed that. You know, there there wasn't a whole lot of arm tackling going on out there. They were they were wrapping up. I mean, some of those guys can hit, but for the most part, they, oh, they yes. were wrapping up. So it's it's great to get a corner that's that can take away one side of the field, but also if a run is come his way, if if a running back's coming his way, he can wrap up and get him down on the ground without us having to worry about arm tackling and you know, missed tackles, all that. Like, it's, it's great having guys that are sure tacklers. That's what I'll say. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, him coming in with his size and everything, um, he, he's kind of built like, uh, 
like Marco Wilson was, you know, a strong guy, a little bit bigger than Marco, of course, but, you know, just he has that strength. And I think um, he'll end up being a guy that we can just rely on on outside. Uh, he, he's he's physical, bro. He's physical. So I'm ready to see what he can do in the SEC ball. I mean, I already feel like by week four, he's going to be the starter, obviously, Kyrie. So yeah, I don't, I'm just waiting for that. I don't see Jaden Hill beating him out of that spot. Well, yeah, I, I, I like I I like what I've heard from Jason Marshall. Supposedly he was great in in spring camp. You know, yeah. I never you know we never really got to see it, but you know everything that they were saying, you know, supposedly he looked very good, and I think that's gonna and I think you know at some point he will get the opportunity to to be the starting corner opposite of Kyrie Elam, and I think it'll you know I think it'll be huge for Florida because Elam's probably gone after this year. I think he's a first. I think that kid's a lock as a first rounder. Probably the second best corner in the draft, only behind Stingley out of LSU. Yeah. And Stingley's a monster. Yeah, and and speaking of spring practice, I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way and clarify this for some fans because if you looked at the message boards on Rivals, heck, we're both on there. There was a lot of complaining about you know, Emory Jones, how he was looking in practice, how the quarterbacks looking in practice. They may have had a terrible practice. Numbers may not look great. I, I just want to emphasize this. Coaches are going to throw everything at these quarterbacks in the spring yeah, because they are trying to figure out what these guys are good at and what they're not good at. That way in the fall, they can they can work on those things, and when the games come, they're not rattled when they get out there. They're running what we know they're good at, and they're pretty much scrapping what they're not good at. Like, it's the same with Kyle Trask. We knew he, we knew he could. We knew he was a very accurate passer. And mm-hmm. He can get the ball down the field. That's what Dan Mullen ran because that's the way the offense fit for Kyle Trask. It wasn't his quote unquote normal offense with the quarterback runs and the quarterback dies and all that. So. That's the difference you're going to see with Emory Jones. You're going to add the zone read, but that's what they do in the spring. They throw everything, but the ki- even they throw the kitchen sink at these guys so they can <laughs> figure out what they can do on the field and what they can't do on the field. So that way, when they get out there, they're not looking like deer, a deer in the headlights and you ruin their confidence. Very important message there. Very, very important. <laughs> And I think Emory's actually la- like I think the last scrimmage is actually Emory's last best game, so it might have been you know he was finally you know he was, the things that he was really struggling with in the beginning to understand and actually started to perform better because if I'm not mistaken his last his last scrimmage was his best one, so yeah. you know that's another positive note for Florida fans. Hey, Emory Jones, you know finished out on top, and also hey maybe the defense you know. Is actually is somewhat decent because last year it was it was pretty oh, bad. Horrendous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be nice. It was garbage. Yeah. No, yeah. You can go go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say what you want to say. How bad was the defense? It was very bad. No, honestly, bro, <laughs> the defense. Very, very uh, whenever whenever we scored a touchdown, I would go in the kitchen and give me a drink. I wouldn't even watch the defense, bro. Like, I'm telling you, I would eat food. And just wait till Kyle Trask, Tony, and Pitts got back on the field. I was not trying to watch any of the defense. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. a mod like. Go ahead. I saw a mod like um tweet. He's like, man, third downs don't even excite me because I know what's gonna happen. We're not gonna stop them, <laughs> you know. And for yeah. a point, for a DB to say that, like for for a DB, he's probably thinking like, oh shit, this is my time to this is my time to get a pick. This is my time to to get a pick, and then but for them it was for Florida it was more like uh, how how is Todd Graham gonna find a way to let them to let them convert on a third down? No, honestly, bro, honestly, like playing playing your cornerbacks, it's third and five. Playing your cornerbacks ten yards back, having your linebacker, yeah, that means no. like I'm just like, bro, like what are we doing? Yeah, it's, it's third and ten. Why are the DBs 14, 15 yards off the receiver? No sense. I mean, no. they're going to run slants and skinny posts, and because the DBs are playing so far off, it's going to be an easy first down. And in some cases, not only was it a first down, it was, a, it was an easy touchdown. Because Man. all yeah. of a sudden, not only are the deep, the cornerbacks 14, 15 yards off, but the safety's pretty much gone. Like, he's out of the play. Yeah, man. Like, what upset me, I think, the most is that – Looking back at it, bro, that game against Florida really got Kellen Mond drafted as high as he got drafted. No, no kidding. Oof. I'm, I'm, I'm still. First of all, I still have bad memories about that game because, first <laughs> of all, there was supposed to be you know, limited capacity in the stadium, and it was packed. clearly, there was no limited <laughs> capacity. We all saw. You're using, the, you're using the same excuses. You using the same excuse as Mullen now? <laughs> Look, that was a full stadium. I don't care what anybody says. It was supposed to be twenty five. Hey, I'm not. Hey, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing that it wasn't packed, but I mean that's what we're used to. For you know yeah. those guys, you know, it was only like the oh, no, third game of the season. Oh no, no you're you're right. We're used to it. It just wasn't supposed to be that way in that particular time, but. I'm not making that excuse. I mean, they they beat us. They beat us. They yeah. they did. They shouldn't have because if we all remember, a certain player who's going to remain nameless. We're not going to drop his name on here. <laughs> fumbled the ball with three minutes left, and we ended up losing on the game winning field goal. If you all saw the end of that game, uh, I have my feelings. I, I thought you were going to talk about Marco Wilson getting cooked. <laughs> well, despite him getting cooked, we still had a chance to win that game. I'm gonna. I've, I've said if it wasn't for the fumble, I think we, I believe we would have drove down the field and we would have won that game. But honestly, bro, I don't. I don't even. I don't even really blame Malik Davis, bro. Like our sure, our sure-handed running back that game, bro, was was uh, Naquan Wright. Like we should have kept feeding. Who him. I felt should have been in. He should have been in the game. Him or Damian Pierce carrying the ball at that time. You don't bring Malik Davis in at that time. Like, it was just the weirdest thing for me, bro. Like, I just, ugh, I don't know. Yeah, because that was the other issue I had. We would take out players when they're hot. Like, they have a rhythm going, and all of a sudden we're taking them out. And it's like, why? Yeah, he's in yeah. rhythm. He's he's got he's got something going right now. We need to keep feeding this this player, keep feeding this player, and all of a sudden we take him out, and then all of a sudden the drive stalls. Yep, yep. Like th- th- that was the issue with me, and I just hope that that does not happen this year. Like for example, we have five running backs, right? 
if one of those running backs is stacked and really gets gets going, leave them in. Prepare yourself, bro. I mean, I mean, yes, guys are going to be upset they're not playing, but they're also going to understand. Okay, this guy's in rhythm. This guy's got it going, and they can't stop him. He's got to be in the game. Yeah, I think Florida has a couple of those type of running backs. I think I think the mark getting the Marcus Bowman shoes. I think Naquan is going to be very nice, and then you have Lorenzo Lingard who. This past spring, you know, it was breaking some like sixty-plus yard rushing touchdowns. Yeah, you know, if he can stay healthy and learn the playbook, I, you know, Miami fans know what he's capable of. That's why when he signed with Miami, they were very excited to get him. <laughs> you know, obviously, it never happened in Miami. He had, he, you know, he showed that he was talented when he was there, and even when he played, he showed some really nice explosiveness, but. We'll see what happens. I mean, I I, I like what I've seen. I, I like what I've heard and seen from Lorenzo Lingard, and I know the type of talent he is. Yeah. I mean, that, even the, you know, even with all the injuries, he's got great speed, but he's also a strong kid. He's a guy oh. that can that is very well put together. Yeah, yeah, I I, def, I definitely agree, and yeah, that's a kid that you have to find a way to get on the field. In some way, shape, or form, we got to find a way to get this kid on the field, because, like you said, he has that that the kind of breakaway speed that we've been missing at the position. And then getting Demarcus Bowman to, to come in from Clemson, we all know how bad we wanted him out of high school. We were disappointed <laughs> that he ended up going to Clemson, but you know, you know, things come full circle, and you know, he decides to come home. I mean, due to, I mean, there's unfortunate circumstances involved. I mean, thoughts and prayers with him and his family with with that. But, you know, him coming back to Florida in, in the orange and blue, it just feels right, him being in, in Gainesville. Definitely. Gainesville. Like, this is something that Florida, should have happened out of high school. Absolutely. I think Florida fans were more excited about him committing to Florida then Florida acts because he committed to Florida during the South Carolina game. I think Florida, Florida, Florida was beating the crap out of South Carolina at that point. I think everyone's attention turned towards um, Demarcus Bowman. Everyone was like, "Oh, we got you know, we got Bowman, we got Bowman." Well, and Florida was like beating you know South Carolina by. A couple. I think people you know like, "Ah, oh, forget this game. We got Bowman." It was a super weird timing for a commitment. Super yeah, it was, weird timing. it was weird. Yeah, it was weird. And I remember I was on the message board. And I was I was the same way. I didn't even care about the rest of the game. It was like once Boba committed, I was I was like, we we I already know we're gonna win this game. Like we're gonna win. That doesn't matter right now. The fact that Demarcus Bowman committed is what matters. And you know the the message boards were flooded with Bowman stories. And then they were rehashing some of the old stories. So, I kid you not, if you went on Gators territory, it was like a whole thread, a whole page worth of Demarcus Bowman stories. So it's going to be great to see what he can do when he gets out there. I I can't wait to see it. Everybody can't wait to see it. And first of all, I hope he changes his number from twenty three and gets a single digit number. I mean. I like 23, but at the same time, uh, 
we, we he needs a single digit number. <laughs> but does anybody have any final thoughts before we close out the show? Uh, basically, man, I just I, I think I'm just excited, bro. I think Emory Jones is gonna be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So everybody prepare themselves, and yeah, that's that's my take, bro. I'm sticking with it. What about you, Hector? I'm ready for the for the rest of the baseball season. You know, it feels like forever since we talked about baseball. But, yeah, you know, baseball season's coming to a really close. Now, 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 now comes the big the big part, you know, the SEC tournament. I'm talking about those calls in the World Series. That's starting to come up. This is yeah. when Florida really needs to play their best baseball towards the end of the season. I mean, in all my years of watching college baseball, and I've watched Florida make it to the College World Series like four or five times. I think the least talented team they had was the team that ended up winning the World Series. Yep. Yep, I, I agree 100%. And, it's, and I want to say that because there were still two first-rounders, the rotation, and a guy in a competitive balance A pick in Coar, but Singer – Court Singer was great, but Coar wasn't fully very good. Jonathan India was very good, but he wasn't – he was – until his junior was probably the least talented team, least stacked team Florida had. But that's how it is in the College World Series. I think the last team, number one team in the country to win the College World Series was the Miami Hurricanes in 2001. Because mm. the last team to win it was Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was the highest. But there was, they weren't the number one team in the country. The number one team in the country – was UCLA, and they got eliminated in the regionals. They regionals and got swept. The number one team in the country. Yeah, I remember watching that. I was like, wow. And then the team that beat that put them out is who Vanderbilt ended up playing for the national championship. Yep. So, so you think about that, you never know who can win it. And I, I agree 100%. That's actually my take, you know. How does how does Florida continue to play at the level that they're playing at? Because, like you said, because you're 100 percent right. This is the time where you want to be playing your best baseball. Yeah. You know, you got you got the SEC tournament coming up. You want to play well there, but like you said, it's not really about that. Even though you want to win, it's not really about that. It's about regional, super regionals, college world series. Are you playing your best baseball when you get to that point of the season? Because if you are, you have a great chance to win the national championship. And it's going to be a tough road. I mean, I saw a projected regional that Florida had. It had Louisville as the number two seed in the regional. Now, I don't expect that to happen. I would expect it to be for somebody like Florida State or a Stetson or a team like Florida State. I would stick with them to be in that, to be in that regional. But it just gives you the kind of regional – that you're going to see. You're going to have teams that are like two seeds in regionals, and they're going to be teams you normally see in the College World Series, like a Louisville. So the my, my thing is, can Florida continue to play their best baseball during that time? Well, so, I guess only time will tell. Yep, definitely, bro. And we'll, and we'll see how they do this weekend against the – very formidable opponent, like the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, we definitely can't get ahead. We have to, they definitely have to focus on this series, and I think 
I, I think they'll at least win two out of three and, you know, really position because if you look at the standings, they have a chance to win the SEC East. You know, they got two out of three over Vanderbilt. They're, they're battling both Vanderbilt and Tennessee for the SEC East. So they still have a chance to win that. So they're definitely going to be, they definitely know that they have to play their best baseball during this time and they have to focus on this series and, like I said, I think they're gonna win two out of three, and let let's just let's just see how everything. We just have to see how everything shakes out. Yeah, to be honest, I I honestly think that that Kevin O'Sullivan doesn't really care about the about the SEC the winning the SEC East and winning the SEC championship. You know, those things are all nice, but. Sully's got one goal in his mind, and that's how he, that's how he is for every season. He's got one goal in mind, and that is to win the national championship. Absolutely, absolutely, I absolutely agree. You're you're right, and you can tell that that's what he wants. Everything else is extra to him. Yeah. Well, if nobody else has any final thoughts. This has been another great episode of the Swamp Inside Ford Athletics. First, first, before we close it out, Hector, let everybody know where they can follow you and where we can find where we can find your articles and read everything that you write. Well, yeah. So my Twitter is at Hector underscore Baseball. You guys can find me on Rivals for Gators Territory and Rutgers Rivals. And for my, if for any Miami Marlins fans that you know, the handful of us. I am a contributor for Fish Stripes, which is partnered with SB Nation, and you can find them just at Fish Stripes on Twitter. And yeah, I mean, thank you guys for inviting me. You know, it was fun. I, you know, I've been we've been we've been trying to get this done for a little bit, so to finally actually get it done, you know, it's great. Absolutely, bro. Thank you for coming on, my guy. Yeah. Thank you for. Yeah, definitely, man. Jerry, where, let, let everybody know where they can follow you. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Breezy II, and you can follow me on Instagram at jlamar underscore II. Y'all follow your boy, and uh, I'll be bringing some content with AB. As long as he doesn't get suspended. Yeah, I won't get Again. <laughs> because, because, look, you, you have about 20 Twitter accounts already, so Get, just, I'm just gonna let everybody know. Get ready for account number 21 because it's coming. Not it's this coming. time. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at AceWade One and on Instagram at Ace underscore Wade One. And you can follow the podcast page on Twitter at Inside underscore Swamp. And the Instagram account is at Inside underscore Swamp Athletics. And with that, this has been another great episode of the Swamp Inside Florida Athletics with Jerry Brown here. I'm Anthony Beck, and go Gators. Go Gators.